Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Hi, this is David Allen, and welcome to the Agile Uprising podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of Agile Uprising Podcast. I'm Brad Stokes and my co-hosts are Andy Cleff. Say hello. Glad to be here. And David Allen from Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity, a New York best time seller and international speaker and helper of CEOs and people everywhere. David, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, guys. Well, let's see. Um... Yeah, well, I just spent the last 35 years figuring out how to stay lazy and still afford where I live. So uh, really all about efficiency, effectiveness, you know, what are the best practices about that stuff and uncovered, basically uh, discovered, uncovered, researched and packaged together a you know, systematic approach that lets people clear their heads, uh, focus more meaningfully on what they want to focus on. And I've spent thousands of hours one-on-one with some of the best and brightest and busiest folks on the planet, you know, implementing this with them and hundreds of thousands of people going through our seminars around the world. So that's kind of where I am. I live in Amsterdam now. My wife have been and I've been here for four years. We moved from Santa Barbara to Amsterdam. We love it. And much more the center of the world of my world these days than California was. Anyway, that that's a, that's a short version of a very long story. <laughs> I love the uh, efficiency laziness combination. And, and, and one of the things I, I, love to explore on this conversation is uh that journey of yours you know the early days your your first edition went out 2001 if i'm if i'm correct yeah yeah Yeah. took a i started it in 97 98 but it took that long to get it on the shelf it was a uh, quite a labor to, to write it but so tell us about the early days. What led you up to that? I mean, were were you inefficient and overworking and said enough? No, no, I wasn't. I I I had a fairly simple life. You know, I dropped out of graduate school. I was studying American intellectual history, and at some point, I realized that academia. I wanted my own enlightenment, not just studying people who had theirs. So, uh, and I thought academia was not the place for me to get it. So I dropped out and did a gazillion other things just to keep paying the rent while I was doing my sort of personal exploration journey. Uh, you know, I got a black belt in the martial arts. I got uh, I, all kinds of spiritual practices, meditation, uh, and lots of odd jobs to pay the rent. They weren't paying people to do the self-discovery game. Uh, and so 
you know, had to, had to keep going and rice bowl and cave wasn't exactly my style. So, uh, so I, I wound up being a good number two guy. I helped a lot, a lot of friends kind of knew what they wanted to do in the material world and they were starting their own businesses and so forth. And so I, I helped a lot of them do that. So that's kind of what gave me 35 jobs by the time I was 35. You know, I helped a couple of guys start a restaurant in LA. I, I ran a, a service station, a block off the Santa Monica freeway. We did a car restoration business. I sold mopeds. I helped a, a guy manage a landscape company. Yada, yada. So I did a whole lot of stuff. And I would just show up and, and look around. They they seemed to, you know, they had their business, but my I showed up and said, is there an easier way to get done what you're doing here? <laughs> so, you know, people have often asked, have I always been organized? Go, no, I've always been thinking about, is there an easier way to do stuff? So I still think that way. So, uh, so I would help them sort of improve. Now they call that process improvement, but I would just help them improve their situation. And then they get it onto cruise control and I get bored and I'd leave and go do something else. Then I discovered they, they actually pay people to do that and they call them something consultant, you know, so <laughs> hung out my shingle in 1981, Allen Associates. And, but I was really hungry, uh, you know, because I didn't have a, a business background or, a, uh, you know, I didn't have an MBA. I didn't have any of that stuff. I just had kind of street smarts that, that I was beginning to develop, but I would then got very hungry for some good models that I could use. So if it wasn't obvious how to help people when I showed up, it'd be kind of nice to pull something out of my back pocket that would always help in terms of the model that I could walk people through that would improve their condition. So I then met and had a number of friends who had been in the consulting game for a long time. And a couple of them were, became mentors of mine for a couple of years as I was developing this and learned several of these techniques. And I had a guy sit me down. I thought I kind of had my act together. And that guy sat me down and said, okay, David, let me tell you what I've learned about, you know, helping executives do organizational change. And first of all, they got to get their head clear because they got a lot of old business banging around in there. And it's going to be hard for them to change if they don't clear that up. So he had me sit down and do a mind sweep, you know, the, you know what we teach in GTD now, which is just get everything out of your head, write it all down. Yeah. And I went, oh my God, that, what, an, what an event that was. And then decide next actions on each one of those things. And back then we're still, we were very paper-based. And so I, I just had a, a, a kind of a, an aha, enlightening freedom moment. It wasn't like things were bad before that. I just discovered, hey, that's, that's a way cool space. And I kind of discovered the, the joy of clear space, you know, in the martial arts and meditation. And I also saw how the professional world tended to screw that up pretty fast. So it was kind of neat to uncover that and then turn around and the techniques I was learning for myself, I turned around and started using them with all my clients and produced exactly the same results, more control, more focus, more space. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Another very short version of a very long story, guys. Yeah. But um, with all those garden paths, as you mentioned them, you've gone left, right and center. How did you find uh, one of the things that we have in the agile world is we look at um, failures as being actually major wins because- if you're trying to discover this better way of working, I'm guessing you've had those moments where you're not 100% certain, but something you know there's something there that you've pushed at. Or, or did it just actually flow naturally? It, well, it flowed kind of naturally. Basically, I wanted a good job. So I just, you know, like I, I wanted to you know, keep my consulting practice. And so I was very hungry to find techniques that really worked. So my life was kind of one big mistake, you know, <laughs> the whole time, you know, trying to trying to fix and, and make sure that I got something that was valuable that people were willing to pay me for. So, you know, I was, I guess I was more hungry than, than, than a mistake. Well, I'm going to press you on that one, David. So, so as, as Brad said, you know, failure is a great teacher. 
provided you don't do the same mistake so many times. So share, share with our listening audience, we know you as a highly successful person, but pull back the kimono a little bit and tell us about some of your, your worst mistakes that you, you learned something from. Yeah. Well, one of them was, you know, bringing uh, somebody in to invest in, you know, in the book I was writing. And, you know, I gave them a much bigger piece of the action than I should have. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's still costing me. Uh, so, you know, a little, uh, you know, learning, you know, to be a little too generous because I was feeling too hungry uh, and too needy and too pressed in time, uh, you know, made a, not a bad decision, but I certainly wouldn't do it again. So that was that that was a live and learn, you know, uh, experience for that. And in the same vein, another really you know major kind of hitch in the get along was um, I was writing my third book and really buried. By that time, the world was kind of knocking on our door and wanting more training and coaching. And and I we had a staff that was you know almost you know forty fifty people, and I was just up to my neck. And didn't have any the bandwidth to actually do what I'm the best at, and not managing people like ain't it, nor even marketing. We never did any marketing really. Mm. But if we were trying to scale this, trying to figure out how to scale it, I, I I said, well, I guess I need to find some sort of a marketing type CEO that could sort of take the reins of this thing and maybe take it to a next level. And that was, you know, I was sort of, I was, in a way, kind of forced to make a decision quicker than I should have about. Uh, the person. And they kind of held me over a barrel and said, look, if you don't do this now, I've got to go do these other things. And so I, again, out of my own sense of neediness and my own sense of, I don't know how to do this. Maybe this guy does. And that was, you know, it took about three years to realize there was not a, not an appropriate DNA match. What year was this? Was this the, the first book or coming up to the republication in 2015? No, this was in the, kind of in the middle of that, this was back in like 20, you know, probably 2008, 2008, 2009, 2010. Yeah. So you were in between the two issues. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was, that was a mistake that led to me saying, okay, I guess I, instead of, you know, chickening out in terms of running the company, I guess I better figure out how to do that. And so I read every single kind of management and leadership book I get my hands on for, you know, many months. But I said, God, these are hip people. These are smart, loving people that I've got working around me. Can't this organization kind of run itself? Mm. You know, because I'm I'm not the best player for the play. And then, sure enough, you know, uh, I was speaking, asked to speak at the Conscious Capitalism Conference in California in 2010, and the guy followed me on stage named Brian Robertson, who created this thing called Holacracy. And I went, Oh my God! And as I heard him talk, I said, That is exactly what I need the self-organizing organization. And Brian had come up with a model. Turns out Brian was a real GTD fan. So he'd sort of gotten religion with GTD and then said, how come organizations don't, aren't, don't have mind like water? Even if he did, you walk into an organization and it gets muddy real fast. So he figured out the whole methodology about how to do that. So I don't know if you guys have run across holacracy, but it's a- Oh, 100%. Yeah, we we just we implemented. We were probably the first organization. We were still small, where there were like forty five people, but we were the first organization, or one of the first to go full bore uh, into holacracy, and we're still there. So seven years later, that was a big learning, you know, out of the mistake. And then you know, holacracy itself was a whole project. I figure is going to take about five years to test this, you know, because it's such an operating change. What a great example of serendipity and being open to the possibility, because many people. 
hear of Brian's work and go, uh, NFW, that, that's just crazy crap. That's not going to work anywhere. I, I want to back up a little bit to your martial arts training and your meditation. What kind of dojo was it? Actually, it was a private uh, teacher, a guy, he was an American who had studied oh, several different styles. And he had, in typical American fashion, had sort of blended uh, Japanese, Korean, and Chinese stuff. Uh, and he became, he, he really sort of ran across me and kind of offered to teach me. And I was fascinated by the martial arts because I'd been, I'd read Zen since I was in high school. I'd read all of Suzuki and Alan Watson, you know, all that kind of stuff. And loved the, loved the aesthetic of Zen. I loved the, that minimalist, you know, negative space kind of thing. And I, so I was fascinated by the aesthetic of, of the martial arts, but I was fascinated what would a physical martial art actually be and be like. Mm. And so I, got, so I got involved in it, but more from the philosophical standpoint. Then, of course, it turns out I love to hit shit. It was really fun. So, <laughs> so. I do have keto, so I can uh, definitely say I, I appreciate that one. Yes. I studied Aikido. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. And got black belt. And, and there's so much, I want to say overlap. It, it's all the same thing. I approached it because I wanted to do something physical. And I was getting up in years and I didn't want to hit shit because the other side of hitting shit was getting hit. And so I went to a couple <laughs> of karate dojos and I'm like, oh, these guys, they're going to kick my butt. And, yeah. and I went to a, an Aikido demonstration and the sensei was a woman about almost the same age as me, but uh, less than 100 pounds and slight. And these guys, 250, were coming at her full speed and ending up 15 feet across the mat. And I'm like, yeah, this is choreography. And, you know, <laughs> this, this, this looks beautiful, but come on, this isn't real. And after the class, she said, you know, we, we have class this Saturday. Come. And so I went and it, it was real. And I continued for maybe 10 years. Uh, she moved to Santa Barbara. Uh, I found another dojo where my teacher's teacher was into Zazen as, as part of the practice. He described Aikido as moving Zen and Zazen, uh, seated meditation, as uh, non-moving Aikido. And it was all the same thing. And I'm fascinated with your concept of mind like water and also a, a practice that Alistair Coburn introduced, also from Aikido, uh, this idea of shu, ha, and ri, these uh, elements of practice. And, and do, does that come into GTD as well? Well, you know, because I have a, a focus on sort of the spiritual life and my own and that exploration at the multiple levels, you know, at which we exist, GTD is not that. It's not a spiritual practice per se, unless you just assume everything is. Uh, it, it, what it does is if, you, if you're on a spiritual path uh, and you need and, and like uh, quieter spaces to, to do deeper explorations, GTD is going to help a ton because it's just going to help quiet the noise. So, but you don't have to be involved in a spiritual work to get great value out of quieting the noise. You just quiet the noise. So what do you do with that quiet is up to you. You know, but mm-hmm. if you want to use it, if you want to use it for inner exploration, sure. Absolutely. The, the other thing um, Andy mentioned was the Shuha Re thing, which is basically you're a student, you become a master, and then you start breaking the rules and you really start making the new system. G2D, I, I've talked to multiple pr- practitioners of G2D and uh, my boss, for instance, is actually got me really excited about it. 
And he said every GTD goes through multiple phases and they start this thing over multiple times. It's not necessarily the smoothest of sailing from the front. What's been your experience with that side of things? Yeah, it's just uh, patience. And they all come back around and go, David, you were really right to begin with. <laughs> Does your wife say that all the time too? Sorry, I doubted you. I'll never. That's a no, favorite line in ours. No, no. no, you know, people love to go, and I understand that love to well, they say, well, I, I, I got some of that stuff, but I went and did my own thing. And I go, fine. You know, if, if your own thing gets things done quicker and easier than mine, please share it with me and I'll teach it in the next, this next seminar. So I'm just not, I'm not proud. I just, you know, found out what is the easiest way to get from here to there. You know, so essentially, you know, GTD is just lean for the brain. So if you've got, mm-hmm. you know, no waste, right? If you have a thought twice, unless you like the thought, it's a huge waste of your energy, right? So but you, you lose flow. If you, if, if you say, if you keep telling yourself, I need cat food, and if I need cat food pops into your head twice, you're inappropriately engaged with your cat. <laughs> That's beautiful. No, you, you, got, you got some commitment relative to something you've allowed into your ecosystem that you are not managing well. And it'll beat you up at three o'clock in the morning and when you can't buy cat food, you know? So, duh. That psychic gram. Yeah. About. Yeah. And that said, guys, you know, there, there is a, you know, from my own spiritual exploration and, and discoveries, et cetera, it, in a way, GTD represents why, why a lot of people find it so powerful and yet it is so simple is because uh, it, from my perspective, reflects the two key elements of what you're on the planet to do. A, be accountable for where you have put your energy and B, be accountable for where you put your energy. In other words, That's nice. you're, gonna have to, you're gonna have to eat whatever you've created, right? Karma, we call it whatever you wanna call it. It's called, you've got an incomplete out there. You made a commitment, a would, could, should, need to, ought to. If you don't manage that well, it's gonna come back on you. And it, you know, so being accountable for the things you have put into motion and then once you once you get it, once you're accountable for all that, you you got to still be accountable for what you keep putting into motion in terms of where you're putting your focus. So, and, and essentially, that's all GTD really is. That's where it came from. That's why I couldn't stop teaching it because there's nothing else I'd want to share with anybody. Yeah. Do you find that that uh, GTD well realized? So somebody's doing the right things. They've made their list. They've done the mind sweep. They're doing the weekly sit down and reviews, um, which wonderfully t- dovetails into our own practices that we use for teams. That they get to a state of presentness uh, of mindfulness because you are doing the thing that you're meant to do now. You're bringing the whole person to the job, not just part of the person. You haven't left three quarters of you at home because you've got these 15 other things that are all just sitting in your brain percolating away. You've got this thing, I'm here, I'm doing the job, I'm in the context, and now I focus. Is that part of what GTD brings? It, it, it feels a lot of what it brought, it's, I feel that it brings. Well, you know, the, it, the big secret here is that getting things done is not so much about getting things done as it is about just being appropriately engaged with your life. Appropriate engagement means that you are managing the cat uh, are you appropriately engaged with your health? Are you ma- appropriately engaged with your job? Are you appropriately engaged with this podcast? Are you appropriately? That's it. And appropriate engagement doesn't mean that you need to finish it. It de- just means that you need to be in the driver's seat about how you are engaged with it as opposed to the victim of it. And so, yes, once you get to that place that, you know, an end game essentially is feeling totally confident that whatever you're doing is exactly what you need to be doing and you're totally present with whatever you're doing. Right. You want to call that whatever you want to call that's fine with me. 
you know, you can call it whatever you want. There's another side to this that I want to explore with with both of you. So you're describing your role in in your commitments and your accountability and your say me do. Now we're in a team. We're working with other people. There, there's a I'm searching for the concept. There's a, there's a, tr- a a trust that when you say you're going to do it, you actually do it. And if I'm on the other side of that, I need to have faith or I need to, uh, if you don't do it, to call you on it and, and, and somehow have that shared accountability. I'll, I'll share with you a little snippet. Before we started recording, Brad and I got here a couple of minutes before the, the appointed time. And, and Brad said, uh, I didn't get a confirmation back from David. Is he going to show up? <laughs> and I said, he, he freaking wrote GTD. Of course he's going to show up. It's on his calendar. And for him to confirm ahead of time, it's wasteful. He'll be here. And, and, and Brad said, yeah, but I pinged him. I gave him all these back channels. I haven't heard from him. I'm concerned that maybe I didn't communicate adequately or, or maybe this, you were taking full responsibility, Brad, but there's also the implicit of, can I trust him to do what he said? So in the beginning, when, when teams are forming, um, do you have any, any practices or ideas how to cross that chasm of, uh, of shared accountability, also vulnerability? Because some of us are going to fail. We're going to screw up. We're going to forget that commitment. Our system isn't bulletproof. What have you found builds that connectivity between individuals, not just your personal practice, but your, your pair practice and your team practice? Well, it, it, there's a lexicon that goes with GTD that has a huge effect on an enterprise or a team or a group of people. Just the outcome and action vocabulary can change a culture. You don't start meetings without going, so what exactly we're we trying to accomplish by when? And you don't end discussions without going, so what did we just decide and what's the next step and who's got it? And those, those two things, that's the zeros and ones of productivity is outcome and action anyway. So if you just start to have that as part of your vocabulary, and if you are then demonstrating this, it moves all of your intersections up the food chain, no matter what they do, right? You move up. You're every, you, know, you say, I'll get back to it. I say, I get back to somebody. They see me pull out my little wallet and write that down. They go, wow, David actually means what he says. And, you know, there, there's a, there's kind of an osmotic event that happens when any one person starts to just demonstrate this, you know, you're, you're, you're cleaning up, you know, all of your inputs and your backlog is, is, is small. You're leaving work early. You, you, you get back to people within 12, 24 to 20 to 48 hours, you know, that those kind of behaviors start to affect everybody around you, especially if you're, you know, a well-respected person. Um, so yes, any one person doing this is going to affect all of their intersections and they intersect a lot with a lot of people. If everybody does this, boy, you hold the whole team moves up the food chain to much bigger things. So you don't have to then follow up with people and nig- niggle people and nag people and worry about whether it's going to fall through a crack or not. They're bigger things to be focused on. And so, you know, that, that can make a lot. You don't get rid of challenges and problems coming. You wouldn't grow or expand or express if you, if you didn't have any challenges. You know, so it's not about making life easy. It's about getting appropriately engaged with your life. And so the team, is the team appropriately engaged? See, if I walked into your teams, I just go, what's got the team's attention right now? Let's go up to a whiteboard and just do a core dump from the team because the team will have its attention on stuff and whatever it's got its attention on is probably hung up. 
because the only reason stuff is not on cruise control is because there's some decision about it you haven't made or you haven't parked the results in a systematic way that you trust. So that's all I would do, which is walk people through that conversation. Go, hey, guys, what do you need to do to get this off your mind? Because there's an inverse relationship between on the team's mind and it's getting done. So I don't have to go very, I don't have to go very, I don't have to go very far. I just go, what's got your attention? It's, you know, it's funny uh, that your book came out first, 2001, the Agile Manifesto came out 2001. Um, A little bit earlier, there was, you know, the the Scrum Guide had been published and it is all, and and Brian Robertson's work, and it's all pushing humanity, uh, nudging us in a, a certain direction of flow and focus and being here now, uh, the daily standup is my my favorite example. And and as you were describing, you know, what is the team's focus now? Um, that whole ceremony of how are you going to have the most effective twenty four hours um, collectively, and what's your commitment is is part of that. It's all it's all interconnected. So uh, I'm curious about. The, the cognitive science, the neurobiology. I have a daughter who's finishing high school and is going into cognitive neuroscience. Brad, I, kn- I know you love. NYX Professional Makeup is America's number one lip gloss brand. And their butter lip gloss is America's number one lip gloss. Why? Because it's non-sticky and gives your pout a shiny finish. You can put it on bare lips or layer it over other lip products. Plus, it comes in over 30 inclusive shades. It works for everyone. Find out why it's number one for just $6. Visit NyxCosmetics.com to shop. Based on full year sales data from Nielsen. To dive into this stuff, you want to you wanna go off to this trail for a little bit? I'd love to. I think I actually mentioned to you, David, I, I am a UI developer. So I think about cognitive load all the time because basically they say in UI, the best thing you can do is not make a person think. Don't make me think. Let me just know what I need to do so that I can do it. And I see GTD in a lot of ways for me personally is a massive cognitive load shedder. It clears the filters so I can concentrate. Now, I could see GTD would also play into the things like the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world where he's actually, or Steve Jobs, where they famously have worn the same shirt for years at a time. Um, I'm not going to get into the people that wear the same socks because that's Incredible. But is GTD seems to be really focused at that cognitive load shedding. It's that idea that I can do the right thing now. I can focus on the right thing now because I have things around me that I can trust. And they, you said you've delved further into the research on this um, and you've researched further yourself. Um, what's the science that supports a GTD? Because I can absolutely see that it's there. I, I I'm actually curious as to what you've found. Well, you know, I, I didn't do the research. I just read the, re, you know, and many times read summaries of the research itself. Uh, you know, one of the best recent books is Brain Chains by Theo Compernoli. You know, he's, he's in Brussels. And, you know, he's a medical doctor. He's a neuropsychiatrist and a psychotherapist and now an executive coach in terms of stress. And Theo's, you know, he, he just, he spent, I don't know how many years, but he, that book is a, is a curation of 650 research studies that he, that he delved into. And basically, you know, it's coming up with all the same stuff called you, you damn well better take a nap. You damn well better not be doing email right before you go to bed. 
you know, all kinds of stuff that he came up with was fascinating, you know, just about how the brain is required to rest and rejuvenate itself. A lot of data about that. And of course, you know, that, that, that science has anything you could do that takes any kind of cognitive load off is going to allow your brain to refresh itself much in, in a much more healthy way. Uh, another great book, The Organized Mind by Dan Levitin. He's the head of cognitive science at, at McGill University in Montreal. You know, Dan's whole thing, Dan was writing the book when he finally, when he read mine and he, he went into a panic. He went to his publishers, gee, he said, gee, should I even publish my book? Cause it's all in getting things done. And uh, so, but Dan's luckily he did, did write the book. He's got a lot of great data in that most, mostly about just building the external brain, you know, that your brain did not evolve to remember, remind, prioritize, or manage, you know, relationships between more than four things. That's it. So your brain itself, just the, just the, what they discovered about what the brain can't, can and can't do functionally uh, is just huge, you know, huge stuff. And these two guys at, in, in the Free University of, of, of Brussels who did a, a research paper, and it's a peer-reviewed research paper, very deep research. These guys, they read Getting Things Done. They were fascinated by it. You know, it's in the, the Institute for Cognitive Science and Complexity. You know, they did a deep research on it, and and basically they wrote a paper called "The Science Behind Stress-Free Stress-Free Productivity." And I had to read it about five times before I started to get it because it's, it's really deep stuff. But bottom That's line, beautiful. yeah, bottom line was that that look, the brain is just you, you're pressuring the brain too much. That that you know, you know, twenty years ago I had a woman come up to me and I was like delivering a seminar, and she was a research psych- psychologist in Boston. And she said, David, do you know what this is? I said, what do you mean? What, what is this? She said, distributed cognition. I said, you mean write it down? <laughs> she said, well, that's another way to say it. You know, so, <laughs> but that was 20 years ago. And, then, and since then, she was just right on the front end of this huge body of work, you know, that has shown up in the last two decades about how the brain functions and how it doesn't function and how to then optimize, you know, the functionality of it. Anyway, these guys were you know, this whole idea of distributed cognition that the brain actually needs, you do very, very well when you're in a situation in an environment, your brain evolved to, to notice the current situation and use long-term history and pattern recognition to recognize, oh, that's a tiger and the, 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 there's a thunderstorm coming, the baby's crying. You know, you're doing that right now. And there's it, still computer can't even come close to what we're all doing right now because your brain evolved to, to survive you know, it evolved to be able to do that extremely well. And yet you go to the store for lemons and you come back with six things and no lemons. You know, what happened? Well, you, you were trying to use your head as your office and your head's a crappy office. And so that's all of this research just basically points to that through, from, through various different lenses. One of these guys in Belgium, his expertise and his interest in research was insect behavior. He said insect got almost no brain and yet they do some extremely efficient, effective stuff. If you've ever had two ants in your in your kitchen and then two hundred, how come? Well, the 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 worker ant, the worker ant is programmed to go look for food. When they find food, they're programmed to go back to the nest and take it back, right? But when they find food, as they're going back, they're dropping a pheromone trail. Well, the next ant shows up, goes, "Hmm, pheromone, hunt must be food up there." And suddenly, they're you know, you got a trail of ants until the food goes away, because now now the pheromone trail has 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 gone away. So interestingly enough. The, the ant has virtually no brain, it's dumb, has no memory, and does very effective stuff. Well, if you've ever put stuff in front of the door so you wouldn't forget it in the morning, <laughs> that's because some part of you was smart enough the night before to know that you could, you're probably going to be dumb with no memory in the morning, but you're going to do a smart thing. So if you just catch that, 
You know, that's, that's like, that's the big duh. You know, it's just the G, GTD was just, just really uncovering how do I build structures so my mind does not have to remember, remind, or think very much because I've already thought. I have found stuff by the door fails me. I have to put it in the freaking car. <laughs> yeah. Two-minute yeah. task. It's in GTD. If it takes two minutes to put it in the car, go and do it now. Simple as yeah. it. I absolutely love it. I just know that you talk about trusted systems as well, which is all about this um, idea. Um, we use task boards for teams, but you use – well, do you still use the paper notes or do you actually have an app or I'm – I personally used to do it, but I know there are others out there. Oh, I, uh, my capture is, is probably 98% low tech because I don't have to turn anything on. You know, I just grab a pen and paper because that's not my system. That's the capture function. So yep. the capture function is low tech because no batteries, no Wi-Fi, you know, don't have to click anything on, you know. So that's the, that's the most efficient form for me to capture random ideas and inputs. So and then those then that then that paper stuff gets thrown into my physical in basket and then that gets zeroed out and then I you know make all the I go through the clarify process of is there an action is there a project here is this reference is it trash or whatever in terms of what I do so mm-hmm. my list function is really still is, is digital so I use we still use uh, IDM notes Lotus notes and I have nice. a an e an e an e E-productivity is a, a software overlay inside of Lotus Notes that a friend of mine developed that, you know, sort of makes it a little bit easier to do the GTD process. But primarily, it's just task the task management inside of Notes that I use for most all of my list. And I use Evernote for basically random digital uh, reference material and, and, yeah. and checklist. So that's pretty much my system. And there's some great tools. I was at a workshop a couple of weeks ago with Jason Little, and, and he brought up an effect, uh, the Zagarnik effect, mm-hmm. that was new to me. Brad, you, you have heard of this. And, and some of it made sense and some of it didn't, because the, the study, it goes back in the 1920s, late 1920s, and it, uh, Zagarnik found that incomplete or interrupted tasks are better remembered than completed ones. There was a bunch of refuted studies and confirmation studies. But I, I have found that uh, personally, that's true. When I've done something, I, I it just falls out of my brain. And I don't know where, where my limit is for incomplete tests. David, you mentioned, you know, you have the capacity to kind of remember three or four things. But I'm wondering where that limit is for other people. So, so they did that, they, they started looking at if there's a special memory status for problems that we still need to solve versus the ones that we have solved. And they're in the back of the brain and they're, they're commonly realized as sort of that eureka moment in the shower where you weren't actually thinking about the problem directly or stepping on the bus and this unsolved problem um, suddenly made itself clear to you. Uh, I'm curious in a sense, because it seems counter to the the GTD where it is, you put it down and then you don't think about it until you're actually working on it. From just somebody observing, I, my argument against that would be that if you are freeing up your brain space, you actually give your space to be creative. Your mind is for thinking, uh, thinking about things, not thinking of them. So nice. you know, to your point, you know, 
hey, I don't want to have to keep thinking of it. I want to be thinking about it. So I'm thinking all the time. You are too. You don't stop thinking. Uh, and so, you know, the, and the, you know, there's one study that has now, they demonstrated basically that sleeping on a problem makes it a lot easier to solve the problem, but you have to have the intention to solve the problem. You, that it won't just solve itself by itself. You actually have to kind of go to bed or have to be wondering, gee, I wonder how to solve that. I wonder what we could do about that. I wonder what we could do about that. And I think that's a, a, the creative process. You know, I'm staring at a, a kind of an abstract painting that I'm doing right now, and I just keep staring at it, you know, and kind of like, oh, okay, what do I do with that? Where does it go? So that's, that's the, the creative process. So that's not something I want to get rid of. That's something I want to leverage. But you may have multiple problems, poking around, just not too many that you're, you're keeping track of them, as you say. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if it matters. I mean, if it matters that you solve them by Wednesday, then yeah, it probably does. You know, if they're going to find you $6 billion, if you don't come up with a solution, then sure. But hey, just, you know, I, I don't give myself any firm, hard deadlines for anything unless I make an external commitment about it. Because let it happen when it happens. So the only pressure would be is if you had if you had some constraint in terms of time for those solutions. Do you find that the intentionality of GTD, like the I am going to do something about this, I have an action for this, actually frees up the brain to say, okay, I don't need to worry about the fact that I'm going to do something about this. I will. Now let's actually start in the deep recesses, start churning this through. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'll take something from Atul Gawande's great book, you know, The Checklist Manifesto. And, you know, one of the things he says is like checklists, you know, allow the brain to relax, to make sure that it's not going to miss any kind of a critical element, but it also frees up the mind to doing creative things outside the checklist while you're going through the checklist. In other words, if you, if you've got a life partner, you guys go shopping together and you've got a list that has everything, you have a lot of freedom to buy stuff, shit that ain't on the list. If you're trying to remember what's on the list, you don't have that freedom. So... You know, all of this stuff, it, the, creating this appropriate structure, it, probably half my life is not on any of my list. I just do it when I feel like doing it. It's just I have the freedom to do that because I got lists <laughs> that I can trust to go back to when I need to. It, you have a system you can trust. I mean, that, that's one of the big things that you have. You have systems that you can trust. Now, we try to visualize work in teams. We have our progress boards. It, it Those systems, they, they're so important, but they, they're tools that support us to actually get on with doing the work rather than the job is not the boards the job the boards just show us hey this is what we're intending to do now it it sounds very much like gtd is that intentionality displayed i have my lists i've got my to-dos and i'm in this space i have some time i can look at my list i can go from there um that's kind of where i feel gtd just rocks uh personally and team-wise well, in the team, the, 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 the challenge you run into, and I, I don't know because I'm not in your world, but the challenge you run into is who's looking at that, how often, at what level of granularity, mm. right? Because the fact that you got it on a chart, so what? You know, it's like how, who's looking at it? Are, are people looking at it that don't need to look at it? Are people not looking at it that need to be looking at it? And how often, at what recursion and at what depth and at what level of granularity in order to get it off their mind? So that would be the, the reason for any of this is like, okay, what do I need to do to not have that on my mind? And the, a system includes behaviors in addition to the physical parts of it. So the system, if, if your system says, yes, we've got this, you know, an external board 
By the way, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of digress a little bit, but if you're familiar with holacracy, the whole thing, basically, if you don't do GTD, you can't really do holacracy very well at all. Because if people aren't doing GTD, you don't, you, you have to have too many meetings because you can, don't trust people are getting it done. And you have to bring up too many things for the projects. You have to bring up too many things in team meetings that you don't need to. You should have just done one-on-one meetings to handle all that stuff. And then people start to overstructure and overconstrain themselves uh, if they don't trust people have the right behaviors personally of what to do with the results of those meetings. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. That totally makes, makes sense. a lot of sense see how they they work together and one cannot exist without the other well we're running up on time and want to be respectful of your day i I know you still have an afternoon left ahead of you um my evening's here and andy has a day ahead of him so um we might call it up is there anything that you'd like to plug anything events that you've got coming out um um, in the near future and how can people get in contact with you they can get in contact just go to gettingthingsdone.com you know, you'll see, first of all, you'll see all of our partners because we've now basically partnered all around the world in the U.S. and the rest of the world for uh, licensees who we've certified to deliver GTD training. So there's a lot of those going on around the world. So you can go to our site and, you know, find the geography that you're interested in and you'll find our, our, our local licensees there you know, who are certified to do those trainings. So that's, that's one, one way you can find that. Obviously, the new edition of Getting Things Done. Uh, is worth getting wherever good books are sold, and it's in 30 languages if it's English is not yours. So, you know, that's a, another option that you have. And there is a new GTD book coming out in July, in the U.S. anyway, and the U.K. as well, and that's Getting Things Done for Teens. So, you know, how do you stay focused in a distracting world? So, you know, the people have been knocking on our door forever. You know, gee, I wish I'd learned this when I was 13. Gee, is, how can I get this to my kids? They need to learn this. I have a 16-year-old. Yeah. Well, I just met a, I just met a woman who's got an 11-year-old son who gets 500 WhatsApps a day. So, Holy crap. Yeah, these, guys, these kids wow. are, are, you know, they're in the tsunami, you know, especially in the social media world. So anyway, so that's, that, that's coming up. So that'll be out, you know, in the, this summer anyway in English. So what's next for productivity for that generation? So you, you mentioned the teens and the the uh, huge cognitive load that they have. And they, I, I got to say that it's, they're not giving their full attention to whatever they're doing. Yeah. Um, can you give us a sneak peek into that GTD for teens? It's just GTD. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> Come on, it, it, it doesn't change. It's just, you know, it, it's just, you know, one of the themes in there, I mean, I, the co-authors are, are two guys who have kids. One of them is a public school teacher in Minneapolis who's been teaching eight, nine, and 10 year olds GTD for two years. And the other is, you know, Mike Williams, and my, uh, an ex you know, staff person of mine who has been raising his kids using this methodology. He's now sort of the GTD guys inside of Zappos. And uh, so they, they did really a lot of the heavy lifting of that because they've got great examples. You know, there's a whole big theme in there. Are you ready? Are you ready for graduation? Are you ready for college? Are you ready for high school? Are you ready for the date? Are you ready for the test? Are you ready? And because that's, you know, that's a big issue for kids. You know, they got things coming mm-hmm. toward them, right? Are, are you letting yourself be surprised by it and overrun by it? Or, you know, what do you need to do about those things coming toward you that you are interested in? So that's, you know, so that all it is, is just taking GTD and put it in, putting it in a, in a framework and a language that ideally will, will be, 
you know, that kids can relate to. It's also written for the caring adults who care about the kids, you know, counselors, parents, teachers, uh, you know, anybody out there that working with kids, you know, I've had uh, uh, some adults read it. They go, oh, my God, this is it gives me a whole spin that I hadn't even seen before because we talk about the amygdala and the, and, and the, and the forebrain are the two elements that kids are going to have to deal with, you know, and so we've got a little cartoon characters out there, you know. So you went graphic novel to approach that audience? Yeah, a little, little bit, a little bit. So there, there's Cortland, who's the four, your forebrain guy, and there's uh, Mig, uh, Miggy, who's your amygdala, you know, uh, in there, and how they go back and forth and which one wins. And... The amygdala always wins, sucks up all the glucose <laughs> and in charge, it stars the forebrain. Well, thanks, thanks again to you, David Allen, to you, Brad, for organizing this and our listening audience for for tuning in. If, if our listeners, you enjoyed this, give us a review, a rating, leave some comments on your podcast platform choice. If it's your first time tuning in, why don't you subscribe, share it with your team. If you'd like to join the discussion and share your stories on uh, getting shit done. Whoops, I slipped that in. Getting things done. You'll have to cut that out, Brad, in post-production. Join us on coalition.agileuprising.com. And finally, support from listeners just like you. Help us cover our hosting and podcast costs. See the show notes for details for how you can become a patron, as well as the many wonderful books that we've mentioned in today's discussion. Until next time, this is the Agile Uprising Podcast, signing out. Jeep wrap up the year sales event. Well-qualified current FCA lessees get an ultra-low mileage lease on the 2024 Jeep Wrangler Sahara 4xe for $309 a month for 36 months with $4,579 due at signing. Tax, title, license extra. No security deposit required. Call 1-888-925-JEEP for details. Requires dealer contribution and lease through Stellantis Financial. Current vehicle must be registered at least 30 days prior to lease. Extra charge for miles over 22500 Includes 7500 EV cap cost reduction. Not all customers will qualify. Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 1224. Jeep is a registered trademark. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.